Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're going to have the seventh overall pick from the 76th draft and one of the handful of guys to ever win an Olympic gold, an NCAA title, an NBA championship. He also won back-to-back high school titles in Chicago. That's Quinn Buckner. We're going to have him on shortly. But first, Adam, you are a... I mean, you've been doing this college scouting, pro scouting since you were, I think, like pre-bar mitzvah. So I want to know, now that Duke's now that Duke's out. Still waiting on that bar mitzvah, by the way. <laughs> I'll, send, I'll, still, you know, I'll send you a kiddish cup and we'll pretend like you had a bar mitzvah. So I, I want to hear your like 30-second evaluations of, as pro prospects now, of Zion, R.J. Barrett, yep. and Cam Reddish. So... Zion, of course, the interesting one because of the hype. Now people talking about him being the greatest Duke player of all time and that, I mean, I've heard talking whoa, heads whoa, whoa, say whoa, he's going to be. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. The only one saying he was the greatest Duke player of all time was Mike Wise. And the only reason Mike Wise was doing that was to get more <laughs> views on his Jesse Smollett rap. Okay, so there's, there's no way, I'm telling you, there is no way that Mike Wise, the host of our Monday podcast here on Pure Hoops Media, the Mike Wise Show, there's no way – Deep down, he believes he is the greatest Duke player of all time. It's just it, it's just not true. He can't believe that. He can't possibly believe that. And and this was, by the way, no, like two games ago or something, right? I mean, I, that this this was started. I, but he wasn't the only one, honestly. I, I I heard this debate going, and it's one of those things where people do on on TV shows where they go, "Hey, people are saying this guy might be. What do you analysts think?" And it puts the analysts in a tough spot because it's really a straw man's argument. There, there's no one really saying that, like you point out, except for people trying to get the uh, Jussie Smollett. Uh, view count up, although I don't think he needed any help because that thing is wonderful if you haven't seen it. Search Mike Wise and go find it. Um, but as far as Zion goes, uh, the hype machine, of course, crazy, but here's what you love about him. Second heaviest player in the NBA right now. All muscle, we can see that, but his skill set's terrific. A lefty can shoot the ball from three. His stats are off the chart. His PER is like the greatest ever in college. Uh, this guy shoots an incredible field goal percentage, great true field goal percentage, uh, everything about it. He rebounds at an extraordinarily high rate, rebounds out of his area, all those things. But his skill set, obviously, is tremendous. And I think that's what shocked people when he came out of high school and Barrett was actually rated higher. I did talk to an NBA guy, though, that said he would absolutely, absolutely take John ja Morant before Zion, his feeling being that Zion's only going to measure out at 6'6", and that he won't be as physically dominant against pros, and so he's going to have to increase his skill set uh, at the next level, which I don't doubt that he's going to do that. And I said, well, wait, what about Charles Barkley? I mean, people sort of said the same thing when he was coming out, and Barkley was two inches shorter than Zion is. Uh, and the response to that was, well, the game's changed now. There's no, there's no more post-ups. There's no more overpowering guys in the post. So that was his thing. Not knocking Zion, but he felt like Ja was more NBA-ready uh, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. I think both those guys are going to be all-stars and terrific players for years to come. So that's Zion. I think uh, R.J. Barrett is was the number one rated player in this draft class coming in, but uh, obviously Zion surpassed him. I think John Morant surpassed him. His inability to shoot the ball from the outside consistently is hurt. Steve Nash just raved about his decision-making and how he reads defenses. So I think – he, his understanding of the game, his ability to finish are great. He's got good length. He's got very good talent, but now he's going to have to transform it and grow it based upon his skill set, and he's going to have to learn to shoot it. And he'll be a top-five pick. The most interesting one, though, to me is Cam Reddish because Cam sort of deferred to the other guys, and he's this great shooter when you see him. <laughs> and, Noah, I mean, I know you're familiar with Cam's game, you know, being a guy that, you know, from the, the Philly area, he grew up in Norristown and, um, you know, has – has a ton of talent, and his shot is so pure. And he looks like this guy has 
everything you would want in a wing player in today's NBA. His length, his ability to shoot it, to defend. But we just didn't see Cam Reddish get to be the guy that we all expected him to be. But he was playing with the two best high school players that we've seen in, in college basketball in quite some time. So I think that was difficult for him to sort of be the third wheel. He would be amazing if he came back to school, which won't happen. But I'm just saying because I would love to see a guy like him get a chance to dominate. So he's got an incredibly high ceiling, but his best skill is shooting the ball, and he didn't do that well consistently in college. So NBA teams obviously are scared of that. So I wouldn't be surprised if Cam goes, falls out of the top ten, but at the same time, if his workouts are awesome, I could see him being a top five pick. So that's, that's my take on, on, on the three Duke stars. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with a workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts and they have all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple. So let's continue with the Noah just tease up Adam portion of the Catch and Shoot <laughs> podcast today. Explain this to me, Adam. Fill in the blank is the best NBA prospect in the Final Four. It's Jarrett Culver out of Texas Tech, and it's not even close. I mean, he's guaranteed to be a lottery pick. Uh, but what's incredible about this kid is he just is so quick off the bounce. And to see a guy at his length, to be able to do that is what really makes him special. He's got this sort of unique ability to get by guys. He's crafty. Uh, but he can also shoot from the outside, and he understands how to play. He's just it, he's got a uh, wonderful basketball savviness to him, and his IQ's you know through the roof. And he's been extremely productive in in the NCAA tournament. And you know sometimes I think the casual fan overrates guys as prospects because of what they see. Because for the first time ever, all of a sudden guys are watching college basketball or the first time this year. Noah, which is certainly a pet peeve of mine, but. Jarrett Culver can rebound, he can pass the ball, but his ability to score and beat people off the dribble makes him an insanely good prospect. And, of course, if you play for Chris Beard, you're going to know how to defend. And so having that sort of multifaceted skill set makes this guy have star potential. Jarrett Culver, a lot of people weren't on him, and now they understand that he's also grown his game into becoming more of a leader. He is a big-time player, and uh, he is rising up draft boards right now. All right, so you, so you gave a name before we move on. You, you gave a name for, for the NBA prospect in the Final Four, Jared Culver, but when I asked you to name names on Twitter when you said it drives me nuts, all these people all of a sudden become NBA draft experts when they're watching or you know college basketball experts and it's the first time they've watched these guys play, you, you ignored me. You didn't, even, you didn't even respond. Name names. You know, no, you know what I was going to do? I was just going to send you a screenshot of all the texts that that I have on my phone in the last uh, 48 hours. Uh, um, you know, when I, we're, I when we're ready, get, when we're ready to light our careers on fire, then we'll name names. Well, no, we're still waiting for the book that we've talked about forever, about calling everyone out in this industry. I mean, I called uh, out Seth Davis and, and to lead off the last show. You did. What, what was uh, – did he call you back to discuss that or – No. Okay. Yeah. I, we listen. We also call out our producers for the podcast. Does that count for anything? Scott Turk and Bruce Bernstein—they take shots from us all the time. I'm not afraid to call them out. Yeah, it doesn't really count. All right, let's move on. Guys, explain this to me. All right, no, explain this to me. LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard should not be on all NBA teams. It, you know, it's funny, Adam. The, there's a, a dearth of guards that deserve to be on all NBA teams. And guys that won't make it, like maybe Kyrie doesn't make it, maybe Russell Westbrook doesn't make it, maybe Bradley Beal, Kemba Walker, Ky you know, who knows? So, but for forwards, you know, we don't do, it's not just big men, it's forwards. There aren't that many forwards that can be all NBA guys. But if you're not going to play, I, I came up with like an arbitrary 75% of the games in my head. And that would be about 61, 62 games. It's 61 and a half is 75% of 82. So, they're going to be short of that, both LeBron and Kawhi. And, and Kawhi, it's been load management, whether that's coming from Kawhi or the team or a combination. LeBron was injured. Yes, the numbers are all NBA numbers, except for games played. Now, when I went back and looked at last year's all NBA teams, they all made the playoffs, everybody. But Steph only played 51 games. Jimmy Butler only played 57 games. 
And like all the way back in 07, that was 12 years ago, Dwayne Wade only played 51 games. But now the question is, who would be on it? Is LaMarcus Aldridge, a lot of his time has been at the five, but I think he's still listed as a four. Chris Middleton, he's got one of the best net ratings, in fact, number three amongst all forwards. If Tobias Harris hadn't been traded from the Clippers, he would have been on it. So I don't I don't want to put those guys on. And I'd also I'd also lean towards Kawhi over LeBron to get one of those spots. Because I think the, the forwards are locked up by Paul George, Giannis, KD, Blake Griffin. I think those are four. So if you put on mm-hmm. is it Kawhi and LeBron on the third team? Is it Kawhi and then Chris Middleton, if, if LaMarcus Aldridge is is there also. It's so you're kind of thin at that spot, and, and you're actually deeper at center now ever since they, you know, they took off the center from the All-Star game. So you know that was an overreaction. I don't think that they should be there because of the games played, but it's difficult to find replacements. Well, and w- is Pascal Siakam, would you put throwing yeah, him in the mix? He, 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 could, he could be considered, absolutely. Here's here's the other thing too. If you're comparing the two, Noah, and you had to choose one, which is wild that we're even having this conversation. But between both the fact that Kawhi has led his team to the playoffs, and all the talk about Kawhi switching teams and what would Toronto look like now that you took off DeRozan and added Kawhi, I think you're going to give him points for that. The other thing is post All Star break, LeBron, thirty percent from three, sixty three percent from the line. Yeah. And Kawhi, a plus-minus of plus 14.6 post-All-Star game. So if you had to choose, oh, I'm I absolutely I'm choosing Kawhi. Kawhi. Absolutely. Absolutely. But then there's the huge difference, and I had this argument actually on the radio, and Rick Mahorn agreed with me, Antonio Daniels didn't, about the difference between should and will. Like, yeah, LeBron will make it. He will. I mean, he's yes. been on – I mean, look, before the – before the votes were public, then maybe he wouldn't have been. But now that the votes are public, he will be on it. He, he's been on 10 straight All-NBA first teams. 10. Well, that's, that's going to snap. He's been on 14 All-NBA teams except his rookie year. He will make it. I just don't think he should. All right, moving on. Explain this to me. The Thunder will be a first-round exit in the playoffs. It looks that way right now, Noah, right? Yeah. I mean, currently sitting in eighth, okay? Um, we Let's look at who they would lose to in the first round. They're going to lose the Warriors, right? You give them that? Uh, yeah, yeah, they're going to lose to the Warriors. Okay, okay. Uh, do they lose to Denver? They've lost all four times this year to Denver. Okay, so pretty good indication they would probably lose four out of seven then in a, in a series. Do they lose to the Rockets? Yeah, it's interesting because they've played they, – they do play one more time this year. They've beaten them twice. The way the Rockets are playing now, I do think they lose to the Rockets. And although I do think the Denver series would be closer, I do think Denver would win that series. So, so here's the thing. When you, when you, when you pose this question – First of all, we're talking um, as we record this podcast. They've gone seven and thirteen in their last twenty games, and the last time they had a three-game win streak, Noah, was actually February fifth to the eleventh. Back back then, they actually won four in a row. But that's the last time this team has even strung together um, more than two wins in a row. February fifth. Geez, that's that's during the time you were planning that Valentine's Day extravaganza for your wife. Uh, yeah, it's too yeah. bad that that fell through. The crews called and said, "Yeah, it, that, you know, yeah, I don't want to was... go into the actual details. Uh, I don't want to give away the surprise. I might do it next year." Oh, but got it, got it. You know, yeah, it. exactly. That was that was that's how far back it that's was, Noah. That's that's like a, a bunch of podcasts ago. Yeah, but um, but here's the thing. So Noah, here's the question: If if that's the case, and we look at uh, those are the teams that they will lose to, we would imagine that would mean they'd have to get up to the fifth spot to play the Blazers. How likely do you see that as as being the scenario? Yeah, I don't think they do. And they've actually out. and they've actually swept the Blazers this year in their in the four games. I don't think they get up to that four spot cuz I was looking at the numbers. So they've lost 7 of their last 9 uh, a little bit more recently. So 7 of the last 9. Their offensive rating, which is 18th in the league overall, it's 27th over their last 9, 23rd in net rating and it's usually 11th. And Russ, yeah, Paul Paul George 
it hasn't been as effective, but Russ, over the last eight games, since he didn't play in that game against Miami, don't let the 21-10-10 for you because he's 40% He's forty from the floor and um, he's, he's shooting seven threes a game at, at a 20% clip. It's brutal. Brutal. And he's a minus three and a plus minus. No, it, well, first of all, isn't it twenty-one, eleven, and ten, which is incredible too? That oh, I, I twenty-one and say, eleven I think and the ten. Most, okay. I, well, no, no, and I only say that. No, I only say that because it's because I'm shocked at the fact that, like, I think that is one of the more incredible statistics that this guy yeah. at the guard position is averaging eleven boards a game. I mean, we would be going crazy over it if the other parts of his game were somewhat normal and understandable. I mean, the fact that he's, you just said it, the fact that he's allowed to shoot, allowed is my key word here, allowed to shoot seven threes a game when he is not a good three-point shooter is incredible to me. There are seven possessions a game in which they basically say, ah, uh, there's less than a one in three chance that we're going we're gonna to get three points here. And, and then the other team's probably going to get a run out the other way. It is remarkable, the shot selection for Russell Westbrook, that it just continues. And I, I don't know that we're ever going to see that change. So it's, he can maybe win you a series that way, but there's also a much better chance this year that he's going to lose you one, which is a shame because of the year Paul George is having. Um, and, no, explain this to me. The, I, I know there's been a talk about, about MVP, and, and we've heard it a ton, but these five should be on the MVP, the final MVP ballot. Right, and, and, and the reason I, I want to go with five is because when looking, I know. When I looking know. back at – so there's five on the ballot. And looking back at the five, when I look back at guys' careers and trying to – I mean, you don't remember everybody's season. So when you look back, you can see where they finish in the MVP voting. When, you know, It's pretty simple when you go on basketball reference. And I think that's a pretty good gauge of how they – compared to guys of their season and their era. So LeBron, say, so he's had 13 straight top five MVP finishes. 13 straight. So that's obviously going to finish this year. In 17, it closed out when he finished fourth and he was pissed about it. Eight straight top three finishes. So this year, I do think it's not, it's certainly not clear. And, and Mike Greenberg the other day said something about James Harden being the MVP and it's not even worth a conversation. Like, what? Maybe not even worth the conversation. Why don't you go on The Jump, which was on later that day, and Brian Windhorst, whose opinion I respect as much as anybody's in basketball, when, when he speaks, I'm, I'm always listening. And Windhorst said, I just, I don't even know yet. And most of the voters don't even know yet. And most of the people around the league don't even know yet. So, yeah, there's a conversation to be had. And Trust me, if he was... They were having one, apparently. Oh, that yeah, day. trust me. If, he was on, if Greenberg was on the radio, he'd be having the conversation to fill the time. But I do think <laughs> I do think Giannis is the MVP and Harden is second. But my top five, and, and while I think it's significant, right now I would go with Giannis, Harden, Jokic, Lillard, and Paul George. Wow. And it's it's crazy to think that there's no... You know that those aren't the five best players in the league. Those are the guys that have top five MVP. And yeah, Kevin Durant will most likely have something to say about people are idiots who they don't know anything about basketball who are voting. But yeah, not to have KD or Steph on there is wild, but it's real. So those would be those would be my top five right now. Well, so Noah, so we can agree that we think that all voters out there with with half brain. The locks, we would say, to be on the top five, Giannis, Harden, and Paul George, right? Uh, we would assume I that think, they are locks. I, I, actually, I, think, I think Giannis, Harden, and Lillard are locks. Wow. Okay. Well, that's, that, see, that's interesting. So then we could even you know, and maybe And maybe Giannis Paul George, and too. And maybe Paul George, too, is a lock. I think what, what Paul George has done defensively this year, and I almost think people are going to look at what Westbrook has done, and you, you talk about the shooting numbers. I almost think that... It's almost like Paul. Yes, we're talking about a team that that sits in eighth in the West, but at the same time, for Paul George, what he's done defensively, but also like what he's done in spite of the fact that Westbrook has almost thrown games away, which is wild to think that we're talking about a, a triple double guy this this year in that way. But but it's like because he's played with Westbrook and still being able to do what he's done offensively and defensively, I think 
I, I think that he's gotten a ton of credit for that, and rightfully so. I think we're going to see Paul George on there. So, so here's the, so no mention of of uh, of Joel. Yeah, so you don't I, think right. that that we'll right. see it's a, it's a game. It's a games played thing for me. Okay, and then which I and I understand, and you don't think we will see now LeBron. There's I don't think we'll see there no. obviously because of because of the games played. Kawhi, you brought up earlier. Nah, now played. again, we're talking about Kawhi. That here's the thing. I, I, I think there's going to be sentimental love for Kawhi because, again, of where we were before the season started and what was this Raptors team going to look like and then the season that they had. Uh, I, I would not be surprised at all to see him as part of this this top five. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, ga- games played, but I can't see it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. on. I, I agree. I'm not saying that would be my top five. Oh, so you're five, going with the but, will. Okay. So I'm saying I, I'm saying I would just like you talk about LeBron making an All NBA team. Mm-hmm. I think there's a very good chance we see Kawhi in that in that fifth spot. But but here would be my one thing that I'll just say to you, and then it, the Steph Durant thing, which you sort of glossed over. Like, how much of this Noah becomes fatigue? How much of this is oh people don't want to see Michael Jordan win another MVP? No, people I don't. don't I don't think it's LeBron that. Win. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it's that. I think it's the how do you judge the two. It's a good point. I think it's, it's I think it's as simple as that. Like, all right, well, and you take Steph off. I mean, the the team, the record is a stark difference without KD versus without Steph in, in favor of Steph. But what I mean, you take that's when that's when the most valuable part comes in. You take them off. Like, all right, yeah, they're probably still the first or second best team in the in the Western Conference. Yeah, yeah. it's an interesting. Discussion. Yeah, so it's just a it's a determining when you decide to use the valuable part of in your argument because I mean numbers can sway in any direction at least there's a conversation that was dope we're joined now by the seventh overall pick in the 1976 draft he's quinn buckner longtime pacers tv analyst and the accolades go back for as long as probably anybody in illinois can remember a back-to-back high school state champion in, in basketball he was a, a high school football star also played football at indiana was part of the Indiana's undefeated title team in 76, two-time All-Big Ten selection there in Bloomington, an NBA champion in 84, a gold medalist back in 1976 also. So, Quinn, of all the teams that you were ever on, which team was the most dominant? Uh, probably the, the 76 team, but it was really the, the 75 team healthy was the most dominant team that I played on. Scott May got hurt the latter part of my uh, – Scott May was the player of the year. When I was a junior, uh, he got hurt the latter part of my junior year, but we were a deeper team in '75 than the team uh, than the team was in '76 uh, that won a championship. That was that was the one that gave everybody problems because I just saw something the other day. It's funny you asked that. That uh, that team, first of all, through my our years, we only lost five games in the Big Ten, but that that '75 team beat teams on average of about I want to say 18 to 20 points a game. It was, a, it was a really good team. Uh, Quinn, it, sticking with just uh, Indiana for a moment, I've heard Bob Knight say the phrase, and I, and I bring it up all the time, that there have always been great players, but there's just more of them today. When you think about your Indiana team and the dominance that you had during, during that era, it's not, I'm not asking you to make a comparison to today's teams, but just looking at that team and, and the landscape – what was it that made that team, so those 75, 76 teams, just so unique for that, that particular era? Well, uh, Coach Knight was the, the, you know, at, the, at the forefront of that. He was, he was the, the head, of, if you will, of the proverbial snake because he, this, this had come off wrong, but it, it is what it is. He was maniacal about making sure you did absolutely the right thing for each possession, and you would practice that daily. And, and, and because part of the practice is, is uh, he would stay on you about it. And then it becomes a habit. So when you get in close games, you just know how to react. Uh, I think that was a big part of his, uh, what he brought to the table. He saw it at a high level, but he was able to teach that to all of us. And we were able to apply it during the course of the game. Now, if you want to call that some institutional knowledge from Coach Knight, it was a form of institutional knowledge. And, like Scott was a, 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 you know, he was the player of the year. Kent Benson was the player of the year. 
Um, and the rest of us, for the most part, just tried to make the best contribution that we could make. So I would agree that probably a lot more great players, but having had that experience of playing together made a huge difference. I thought that was part of the challenge, if you will, while we look at the NCAA and think about Duke and Michigan State. That was a bit of the difference. I don't think there's any question about the talent and where Duke was ahead in the talent. The difference was the institutional knowledge that, that you know, Winston and the balance of the team that had going through very difficult playoff tournament games and, you know, those kind of things. So when it's time to make a big play, they know what positions they're going to be in and who's going to do what. That's just experience, and you can't expedite experience. So let's bridge the Indiana years to your high school years because I want to talk a little bit about high school. What was the recruiting process, and all these years later, what stands out about that time with Bobby Knight recruiting? Well, <laughs> the recruiting process is – this is what happened with the recruiting. My – my father had played at Indiana um, in the, on their football team in the late 40s and early 50s. I had a sister who was four years older than me who had gone to Indiana. And my father used to take me to see my sister. So I went to see my sister, but I didn't understand. My dad was recruiting me to Indiana because one of his dear friends and former teammates was, at a, was a football coach. And he used to see us. And, and most of my recruiting, believe it or not, at Indiana was headed toward football. I wasn't, it wasn't that was my passion that was one of the gifts that I had um so when I talked to when coach Knight came to see our family in, in our little town called Phoenix Illinois outside of Chicago he, he he's very engaging he's very smart he you know my mother uh, absolutely loved the way he approached things my dad was um most people think I'm like my like coach Knight I'm like my dad my dad is straight ahead come that you kind of person and there was a little bit of a clash there because they both had the same personality but my mother understood that mine needs to be channeled in the right way. Otherwise, uh, my mouth could probably get me in trouble, for lack of better terms. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I was recruited. I was actually, my first two years at Indiana, I was on a football scholarship. I was not on a basketball scholarship. But I, as I said, the gift was football, basketball, but it was actually first. I could play football, but I had a passion for basketball. That's how I really ended up being a basketball player. It was, it, was it a... a- I mean, I know you were drafted by the Redskins also. Was it a choice that you had to make, or it was fairly clear to you that you were going to play basketball in the pros? No, I knew I was going to – I didn't – first of all, I didn't know I was going pro. I never – you know, so I, didn't, I never thought about it that way, quite frankly. I wanted to be an Olympian. That was my goal, to be an Olympian. And all of the success the team had allowed me to get into the league after that. So um, that was really that, – that was in the, the back of my mind the whole time. Even when I'm playing football. I played football because I – I, I really liked it. I enjoyed playing and I could play it. It's not unlike many of us when we're younger. I just was able to, to take that up, scale it up to, to, to the Big Ten and could do it. And so I did it for a while and then it became pretty clear that I was playing football because I liked it. But you're playing Michigan and Ohio State and at that time and still now, those guys play it because they're looking to make a living. They play with a different intensity, a different mindset. And if you don't have that one, that football is a sport that you can get hurt in if you don't come play with the same kind of intensity. And I, I wasn't prepared to make that kind of commitment because I, I wouldn't be able to make a commitment to play basketball at the same time. So, Quinn, you mentioned that, and I've heard so many people discuss the NBA and their thoughts, those that played in that era in that way, that the that playing in the NBA wasn't sort of even a thought for them. And even guys that I've talked to that had great success in the mid to late eighties said sort of the same thing that like we, we wanted to make the league, but we, we weren't thinking about it. So what was your interaction with NBA teams and your hopes and dreams sort of for the future? I understand your mindset game to game while you're at Indiana, but um, what are you thinking about in regards to playing in the NBA and making that a life for yourself? Well, I've never thought about it for making a life for myself, but I just didn't. I saw one guy, as I was a junior to go in the league, as a matter of fact, I turned senior going to the league. He, he was a class ahead of me. He made it in the league, so I knew that was possible in some respects. But I knew I could play against pros because I did in the summer. I grew up outside of Chicago, so I played with professional basketball players in the summer. And I held my own then, so I knew I could play. I just it – wasn't, it, it was for two reasons. It was not a high priority. One, I come from a family – I'm the only non-educator in a family of six. So – 
mother and father were, you know, executives, eight athletic directors and superintendent. And my sister's a superintendent. And my brother taught my high school. My older sister taught my high school district. So <laughs> education was a prominent part of our dinner conversation, which so that was really where I was trying to make sure I was solid. So the sports thing, my father and I would get into some conversation about, you know, preparation and making sure that I was mentally better than other players because I physically may not be better than the guy next to me. So, But he was a, an athlete, so he got all of that. But I was more preparing myself to be whatever I was going to be. I was going to be in business when I graduated. And before I knew it, I was uh, involved with a great team, great coach, and the Olympics. And the next thing I know, I'm drafted to the Milwaukee Bucks. And it's like, oh, okay. Let's go do this. <laughs> so Quinn, before we get before we get into your NBA future, and then uh, and then you know obviously the all the things that you've accomplished uh, associated with the league. I, I still am curious though in terms of Bob Knight and and the way that he's talked about today and how people have just these polarizing opinions. What's something about Bob Knight that that people just really don't realize? Um. I don't, I mean, it's been stated. One, he is, for the, the people that he is really close to, he's, he's your best friend. I mean, he is a genuinely good human being. Um, I, I, there's no denying that, you know, you have times when there's some things that he does or doesn't do that you would hope he would or would not do. But I don't think that's any different than anybody else. I think the profile is so high on him that that gets, uh, that, that gets highlighted, and, and I, I get that. But there were times when we would play preseason games in, in Fort Wayne, which is just northeast of Indianapolis, and we'd leave him on the bus and be going back home. And either the either he would not be on the bus or the bus would stop and he'd get in the car and he'd go see a fan who, you know, may have been wheelchair-bound or, or just seriously ill. I, I don't want to say any one, 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 one thing or the other. And he'd go spend time with them and make sure they had IU gear because that was at that's who Coach Knight is. Those were the kind of things that he did all the time. And, and, and that's where we understood that there were two sides of him, like there are multiple sides of him, like with anybody. At the end of the day, he's really a good human being, but when it comes to basketball, he knew absolutely what he expected to be done. With the 76 team, you said that was your, your goal was to be an Olympian. So you make that team. When you guys get together now, or, or even just, just two of you from that team, what are the stories that you – still talk about well first of all I, uh, I i as you know i live in indiana and i spend i live in bloomington scott may and i both actually live in bloomington and play golf we don't talk about it that much one of the it's, it's, it's i guess it's the blessing of having the success we've had it we appreciate it but it's not a conversation we have a whole a whole lot of, about we, we talk about some of the things going on in the world today um and i've never been one to kind of sit and i don't mind talking about the success of that team but it's just not something that I do. We, we don't have uh, specific incidences about any of that unless somebody from outside the circle may bring it up and we're comfortable talking about something if it's uh, related to the team. It's, it's really good, I think, but it's, it's kind of strange, but it's good. You, you a much better golfer than he is? No, he plays left-handed. He's the best golfer. I, listen, I admit to what I am. I love to play. I <laughs> okay. absolutely love to play. I love the, the landscape. I really do. That's that's the biggest part of it. The, the camaraderie and the landscape are much more important than whether I get, well, I won't say a birdie or a par. I probably ought to say a double bogey or a, a par. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what that is. When, when you found out that you were getting into the league, when you got drafted, it's obviously much different than it is now. How did you find out? I'm literally, I pictured today. I came back. We had had practice. I played for Coach Smith on the Olympic team. He was a great coach, God rest his soul, at North Carolina. He was the head coach. And I, we had spent time in North Carolina in the training session of it, not the practicing training. So you had time to come back home and find out if you, in fact, were going to be part of the team. And, and I found that out. And so my dad and I were literally sitting in the front room of a little house in Phoenix, Illinois, where I grew up, in the, in the kitchen. And the phone rang, and it was Wayne Embry from the uh, – uh, Milwaukee Bucks, who I'd known a little bit because Coach Knight knew him, and Wayne had been at a number of our practices, but I never, I never thought of why. And so he just called and said, "Hey, we just drafted you, and, and looking forward to getting you up here uh, to Milwaukee. When can you get here? We'd like to do something." Blah blah blah. We, they didn't do press conferences; just once you get up here and get started. So I was sitting in the kitchen of my parents' house with my father, and we were having a conversation. And the phone rang. 
And that's how I found out. Quinn, what was the biggest change uh, adjusting from, from the college game that you'd had so much success with to uh, now jump into the pros? Well, I think the, the biggest change was that everybody could play. You, you play some teams in college and you've got, you know, you may have, a, you may run into a pro every three, well, maybe four, maybe five games, and it may be one. In the pros, everybody could play. And, and even guys that sat on the bench, and you, if you didn't know that, you found that out through the course of the starter being um, unable to play for whatever reason in the game. And the guy that backed him up, if you took him for granted, he would embarrass you. So that's one of the things I learned. But I have to say, again, the tutelage of playing for Coach Knight and how hard he had us work and, and trying to carry that forward, uh, I think eliminated some of that. But at the end of the day, it was still there. This is how good guys are. You can play the best defense, and I was more of a defensive player um, than an offensive player. And if the best defense and the best offense meets, the, the offense is going to win more often than not because the guy's skill level is just that high. George Gerben one time, to that point, the great George Gerben who played for San Antonio, I was trying to guard, I was guard, trying to guard him, I should say, and he's 6'7", I'm 6'2". By the time we were done, he had like 38 or something like that. And he was doing, you know, all of George Gervin's stuff. And by the end of the game, he, he tapped me on my behind. He said, young fella, tell your coach this was too much job for you and kept walking. So that's how guys were back then. So, you know, you, you'd run into that. <laughs> so it was just uh, that, that's how it was. And you knew you can get embarrassed. And, but it was a good lesson because you, you knew if you didn't come with it, you can get embarrassed, not just beaten. You can get embarrassed. What were the what were the locker rooms like in Milwaukee after you you guys suffered some some pretty heartbreaking playoff defeats? Um, we had a bunch of really good guys, and and so while it was um, it was heartbreaking, but uh, Junior Bridgman, Marcus Johnson, Bob Lanier, uh, the late David Myers was on there, Sidney Moncrief, um, but we had really good guys who were balanced. And if you can stay balanced in the business, it's important. 82 games and playoffs, there are a lot of highs and lows. And if you can manage how high or how low you go, you can be, uh, you can keep stay sane for one thing. But there were, you know, guys were disappointed. The first year we didn't make it. The next year, my second year, we did make it. And third year, we didn't make it. And then from there, it took off. I was there six years and it took off. Uh, and then those guys took it to the conference championship. We only got to the second. Well, we got to the conference championship. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, it was the Western Conference Championship uh, that we got to one year. But as I said, we had really good guys and tried to manage the highs and lows. And that's what you have to do in a business like that. Quinn, how did you find out you were traded to the Celtics? Wayne Embry called me and uh, said, hey, I'm going to come over and sit down and talk to you for a little bit. And just And he told me I was – I was really surprised. I was very much surprised because we started having success, but I shouldn't have been totally surprised because I had gone to the draft that year and uh, I was in the draft room. And at some point, Don Nelson and, and, and Wayne and the other part of the basketball leadership, I stepped out of the office. I stepped out of the room. When they came back, they drafted Paul Pressey who was a great player from Tulsa and played many years in the league. Mm -hmm. And I should have put it together then, but I didn't. And it was in that summer they traded me um, because they, they, had a, they had somebody that could do what I could do, and Paul Pressey, who was bigger and can do th more things than I could do. So that's how I found out. And it, it was a little disconcerting in one fashion, but Coach Knight helped me understand that I had a chance to do something that few people had ever done. I never looked at it that way, but he told me because I was, I was disappointed. I was going, he said, Quinn, you're going to the Boston Celtics, one of the most storied franchises in the history of sports with a, champ, a chance to win a championship. I don't know what you're bellyaching about, but you need to get your head out of your new, you, you know what, and go play. And it was, it was great, you know, and coaches always coming straight to the point. I left out all the explicitives that go with it. <laughs> that's, that's how I found out. Wayne Embry uh, let me know that I was being traded for Dave Cowens, who had been a great player, but at the time was driving a cab. Right, right. And then you became one of the handful of players ever to win a, an NCAA title, an NBA title, an Olympic gold medal. So you go to the Boston, so you go to Boston. What is the best piece of trash talk? And then you can curse. Best piece of trash talk you ever heard from Larry Bird on the court? I'm going to have to say this to you. 
I've been a friend of Larry's for a long time, and I have a number of friends, high-profile friends. Part of the reason we're still friends, I don't tell those kind of stories. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so you let's – You want to get Charles Barkley. He tells those kind of stories. I don't, I don't do that. All right, all right so let's go, with, let's go with trash talk that's, that another player tried to throw back at Larry Bird. You know, I don't remember anybody being – the only one that would try to say something is um, – Unfortunately, he got himself in a jam. Is used to be the rifleman Chuck Person, but you know he, he didn't he didn't say too much to Larry. He, he just every time Larry would make a basket, he'd he'd come back and kind of nod his head. Chuck was was not as verbal as he was physical with his uh, trash talking. Mm-hmm. But but Larry, Larry, the thing about Larry, even today, it's, it's his first night. Larry never flinches, never. He is the same way twenty four seven and. You can count on him to be that way. And he never flinched, but he lit Chuck Persons behind up. And matter of fact, he told the coach, he did tell one of the coaches as he's lighting him up for like 24 and a 20 plus and a half, hey, you need to take him off of me because there's no chance he can guard me. He told the coach that. And, and I don't mean, he told Chuck Persons coach, and I don't remember, it was it might have been Larry Brown or one of those guys. He told him that during the course of playing. It was, it was no, I don't remember who the coach was, but he told him. And, I'm about, and for me, that's kind of bold to go tell the coach that, listen, he can't guard me. You need to get him out of here. I'm like, oh, so anyway, that's, that's as close as I get on Larry Bird. Uh, we want to get to the Pacers in just a moment. But do you remember the first game that you had against Jordan in 84? No. No? Okay. I, I really don't. Michael, Michael was, uh, uh, at that point, Michael was really starting to come into his own. Dennis Johnson guarded him more than I did. Because Dennis Johnson was tall, God rest his soul, was longer and taller mm-hmm. than me. Me guarding Michael Jordan, I, I'm, I was way too short for that job. <laughs> <laughs> George Gervin was right about that for Michael Jordan. Yeah, that's a right, right. job for me too. <laughs> the Pacers this season, of course, you're a TV analyst for the Indiana Pacers. Are you even surprised what they've been able to do without Oladipo? No. Um, not, I, there is some surprise. Let me... Let me restate that. There is some surprise, but not totally, because they have been groomed to play as a unit as opposed with an individual personality. Now, mind you, the the, the team misses Victor. You don't miss a you don't not miss a player who does the kinds of things that he can do. What Victor does for the Pacers that they don't have now is he generated offense in the offense, but he generates offense from the defense as well because of his quickness, his ability to anticipate, to get steals, to move the ball up to court quickly and get other people those opportunities. What these guys have figured out that they needed to do better was one, they had to figure out who was going to be the lead guy. That's turned out to be Badanovich, which has been a really good surprise, if you will, and more of how you have to take advantage of your mismatches when you see them as opposed to Every now and then, thinking, ah, I'll just throw it back out. If you got a mismatch, you got to take advantage of it because you may not get another opportunity. So it's forced them to make some decisions on the chances of success at a faster rate. Quinn, how do you think they match up with the Celtics if if that's our first round, uh, which it looks mm-hmm. like that's going to be our first round playoff matchup? Um, been, just coming off a two point loss to the Celtics, uh, so you know you can play them in Boston, which I think is the most important thing. And I think the guys are pretty confident. They can play with anybody, but you can play with the, if you look at it, this to be, and it probably will be the Celtics, can play with them at home, get a great opportunity here on Friday to find out what that's like, had some success with them. Um, I haven't necessarily had it the way you want without victory, but that's what this opportunity presents. How do you figure out how to beat that club um, when they're at their best and fullest and, and when the pace is at their best and fullest? And, and that's to be determined. The two-point game with them at their fullest, Last week, they won. Let's see what happens on Friday. Uh, so we always close, since it's called the Catch and Shoot podcast, we always close with which player would you want in a must-win to get a catch-and-shoot situation to win the game? So let's go back and think about all of your teammates. So choose from your – Oh, Larry. Okay. Larry. That was easy, huh? <laughs> oh, no, that's easy. Because <laughs> Larry can take the ball and shoot it faster than anybody. Because Larry – very briefly – Larry was one of the strongest human beings I've ever been around, and he's a lot stronger than, he, than people even, even gather, even though he's big. Because Larry, this is the thing that he told me about. I asked him, I said, well, man, you're so strong. How did you get that way? As a kid, he used to throw uh, hay in a loft. 
up top. So he got really strong forearms. So what, I, what my point is, I don't care where you throw Larry the ball. If he gets it and he puts it over his head, he doesn't have to recock it to shoot it. He can just shoot it. And most people can't. Hmm. So you never, you never tried, did you ever try to incorporate, incorporate tossing hay bales into your workouts? I didn't grow up, I grew up near a farm. I grew up in the south suburbs of Chicago. There were, there were some hay fields, but I didn't have a whole lot to do with them. I'm, I'm a suburban kid. I'm not a country kid. <laughs> no, as a matter of fact, there was none to throw. All right. He's Quinn Buckner. Quinn, we really do appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Take care of yourself. You're, you're awesome, Quinn. Thank you. I think we're about to go off the rails. Before we go off the rails, let's make sure that everybody is also subscribing, not just to this podcast, but subscribing, rating, reviewing, sharing with everyone you know. The new podcast comes out April 11th. That is Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt, the former Georgetown basketball star. And then also the Mike Wise Show that is on Mondays and the Pure Hoop Show with Eric Newman and BJ Armstrong. That comes out on Friday, so make sure you're subscribing, you're downloading, you're listening, you're rating and reviewing and sharing with everyone you know. And trust me, all of that, subscribing, downloading, rate, review, share, it takes about 45 seconds. And for all the people that are just scrolling through Instagram all day, just spend 45 seconds doing that instead, and you'll feel much more fulfilled in your life. Okay, off the rails. So last year, when Virginia lost to... UMBC, the first 16-1 upset in the NCAA tournament. Tony Bennett afterwards was with Tracy Wolfson, and he was universally lauded for the way he handled his interview that day with Tracy Wolfson of CBS. Yes. Except for on NBA radio that morning, that next morning I heard Brian Geltziler and Mitch Lawrence, Brian, a foreign partner of mine on, on the radio, and oftentimes I host with Mitch, which I did this past weekend, they did a segment called Stick It to the Man where they pick somebody and crush him. And they and, and Geltzer was crushing Tony Bennett for not saying the words, this one is on me. That he put too much of the blame on the players and this and that. And he said the words, I would never want my son playing for Tony Bennett. Wow. Okay? So, and, and then I responded on the radio like, I, you know, I think he's out of his mind and yep. never want your son playing for Tony Bennett. Come on. And you no, know, no one has ever, ever said that. Ever. I know. And this is the thing that you're taking out. And so when, you know, when Tony Bennett, when they're advancing through the tournament this year, I, I brought it up or a few weeks ago, I brought it up on Twitter. He didn't respond and he responds to everything. Brian Geltzer. And i mentioned it again because I was actually genuinely interested if he felt differently this year. Sure. Genuinely interested. I even texted him and said, hey, I am genuinely interested in finding out. And I don't want to sound like I'm obsessed of this, but obsessed over this. But if you're going to make that statement, then have enough balls to back it up again, like double down on it or triple down on it. He's had that problem before with other things or say, yeah, you know what? Like taking a step back, you know, okay. Maybe I went too far. But I would never want my son playing for Tony Bennett because of a pre- because of the way he handled himself, which I thought he, I, I wasn't going to laud the guy for how he handled it. I just thought he did a good job. He did what I expected. He didn't say the words, this is completely on me. He thought he threw his players under the bus by saying, we got outplayed, this, that. And he never said, I got outcoached. And, and, and by the way, Noah, first of all, uh, he, he spoke and didn't go crazy, and we've heard a lot of other coaches in a loss much worse than that. Uh, and that yeah. was, that was it when, and, and listen, it's their job to be, to be in this position, and guys are contractually obligated to do interviews and those types of things. But here's the thing. When you, when you are interviewed at the worst professional moment of your life, I mean – I, I would hope that I had as much uh, as much. I, I know class has been overused. But, but grace, even. But grace, yes, perfect. I hope I would have as much grace as Tony Bennett had. And little known fact, Noah, Tony Bennett was probably my most fa- my favorite uh, college player growing up. Really, University of Wisconsin Green yeah. Bay, playing for his dad, uh, terrific shooter and uh, 
great player. And and Terry Porter, who yeah. was a family friend, was the one telling NBA teams, "You better get on this guy. He can play in the league." And he did. He was he was a solid uh, solid guard for the Charlotte Hornets. Injury sort of derailed his career, but uh, yeah, wait, Terry Porter, the the Blazers, Terry Porter? Yeah, yeah, they you, both you, had Wisconsin connections somehow, and. Um, somehow knew each other you may you may uh, tell you well he went to i think he went to wisconsin something eau claire or something or like a oh, some, maybe some a small school in wisconsin uh one of the one of the uh, campuses you may tell you a quick terry porter story love it hit he me was at, we're off he, the rails already so he was at uh, nba tv one night when he was back in secaucus and i was working in uh, programming production voicing highlights and stuff and the meal that night was ratatouille so and you know what Ratatouille is, right? Uh, I know the movie. Okay. Well, anyway, Ratatouille is a mix of uh, – it's like stewed vegetables all together. Yeah, okay, yes, put yes, over yes. So I brought it back up to my desk. I was doing work, and Terry Porter walked by, and we said hello, and he said, uh, Noah, what is that? And I said, it's Ratatouille. He goes, Ratat what? <laughs> I said, Ratatouille. He goes, shit, I grew up poor, but I ain't eat no rat. <laughs> <laughs> And he, was, and he was dead serious. And I said, no, 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 Terry, it's just it's vegetables. <laughs> just vegetables. That is yeah. awesome. On, yeah. that, on, the, on that note, Noah, I think that we should, uh, well, first of all, thank your, your friend at NBA Radio for providing us with a good off the rails. I hope he responds to you at this point. Nah, it won't uh, happen now. He, he, he owes us each an apology and a response somehow. Something. Um, but I do think we should thank everyone associated with Pure Hoops Media. You mentioned all the great podcasts that we have. Uh, great podcasts. A-plus podcasts. Check them all out. Mike Wise's show, Monica McNutt's show when that comes out. Um, and, uh, and of course, uh, BJ Armstrong, Eric Newman on the Pure Hoops podcast. But also, Bruce Bernstein and Scott Turkin doing a wonderful job producing uh, the show. As, as always, Jeff Torini. Great editing. Great editing. And uh, you know Scott, all the sales guys. Did I mi- did I miss anyone? No. Well, Jeff, I, Jeff's, I... Jeff's gonna have his work cut out for him this week because my solo record wasn't working during Quinn Buckner, so he's gonna have his work cut out for him. Oh. So good thanks, luck, Jeff. Jeff. Good luck, Jeff. Uh, Noah, always appreciate working with you, brother. You too. Talk to you next week. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.